This is the fifth and final week of our sermon series called Q&A. Uh, each week we've been throwing out a question that a lot of people have asked, a lot of people wonder about, a question related to the Christian life, and then we've tried to provide a biblical answer to that question so that if the question is important to you, you can find some peace. Um, you'll see up there uh, on the, the screen, it says Volume 1. We put that on there because uh, we're going to do this series again next year. Um, we just feel like there's a whole lot of questions. And so we're doing um, uh, some questions now, um, and then we'll do some more after the first of the year. So today's question is one that a lot of people have wondered about and worried about. Very simply, it's this. What are the chances that I'm wrong about my salvation? Now, the Bible tells us a lot of people are going to be wrong. They're going to go through life thinking they're saved, and then someday they're going to stand, by, stand before God and learn that they were never saved. Um, the Bible makes it very clear that this is going to happen to some people. Look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. It says, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me. You who break God's laws. And that is one of the most unsettling passages of scriptures in the Bible. Makes a lot of good church-going people wonder if someday they're going to stand before God and realize that they didn't make the cut. All of the questions we've asked in this series have been important questions, substantive questions, but this one might be the granddaddy of them all. It's important that you be sure of your salvation. You only get one chance. If you come down to the end of your life and you've blown it, that's it. You don't get a second chance. So I have searched the scriptures, done some thinking about this, and I've come to the conclusion that there are three critical questions you need to ask yourself if you want to be confident in your salvation. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, Examine yourselves to see if, you're in the fa- if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. And these three questions will help you do just that. Are you ready? Here we go. Three questions you need to ask yourself if you want to be confident in your salvation. Number one, do my actions match my words? Now, I start with this question because that's the one Jesus really talks about in that passage of Scripture I just read. He talks about people who cry out to him, Lord, Lord. In other words, uh, his name is on their lips. They talk about Jesus wherever they go. They talk about him at church, of course, but they talk about him at the grocery store. and They talk about him with their neighbors and their friends. The name of Jesus is on their lips all the time, but they don't really back up the talk with obedience. That's why Jesus says that, really, it's only those who actually do the will of his Father in heaven who will be admitted to heaven. Just just talking a good game isn't enough. You know, just having the right lingo programmed into your brain, just having religious conversations with people, just 
praising Jesus at work, it's not good enough. I got to tell you, I've known a lot of people in my life who have fit the description of what Jesus is talking about here. You, you meet them, and they are so impressive. And they might have a testimony to share, and they might tell you all the places they've been to church and all the things they've done for the Lord, and, and, and you just think, wow, this must be the greatest Christian in the world. And then the better you get to know them, the more you realize that they make lifestyle choices that are questionable, and they have attitudes that are not very Christian, and you begin to realize that there's a lot of talk there. But there's not a lot of obedience backing it up. Um, several years ago, our church had a softball team. And we played in the Kissimmee Parks and Recreation uh, Church League. And there was a guy on one of the teams we played against, and he was a leader in that church. Um, and he was one of the nicest guys you would ever meet. If you would just talk to him like around town, see him on the street or at the grocery store, he would Jesus you half to death. You would talk to him for five minutes. You'd think he's the greatest Christian in the world. But on the softball field, he was the most unsportsmanlike, obnoxious, disrespectful player in the league. And, and, and this is not just my opinion. I've seen him get kicked out of games. I've seen his behavior be so bad that he was made to leave the property. There was one game I remember, and if we have some softball players in the room, you may remember his, his behavior was so bad one day that his own coach came over to our team after the game and apologized for his behavior. Now, he didn't apologize, but his teammates were apologizing for him. And here's the thing. Anybody can have a bad day. Anybody can have a weak moment. Anybody can make a poor choice. Anybody can overreact in an emotional situation. But that wasn't what was happening with this guy because he behaved the same way Every single game. So it obviously wasn't a weak moment or a bad day he was having. It was who he was. It was embedded in his character. And I'm not judging his salvation. I'm just telling you this is what Jesus is talking about. When he says these people who say, Lord, Lord, oh, Jesus, I love Jesus. Oh, Lord, Lord. And then you look at their lifestyle and you think, wait a minute. Something isn't right here. If you love Jesus as much as you say you do, you shouldn't be acting that way. I love this little poem. Jesus is claimed by the many, but Jesus is served by the few. Because it's easier to preach than to practice. It's easier to say than to do. And that's what you have in a lot of people. Well, they can say all right. They can talk. They can preach, they can testify, but do their actions match their words? Here's something you need to remember. You're never going to be defined in life by your words. Your words are not what define you. Because anybody can talk. You're going to be defined by your actions. That's where your character really comes out. It's not what you say. It's what you do. So this is the first question. 
Do my actions match my words? Here's question number two. Am I a follower of rules or a follower of Jesus? Now, this is an interesting question because, in general, people hate rules. It's programmed into our DNA. We hate rules. If you have any doubt about this, just get in your car and drive up and down Pleasant Hill Road. You will see all kinds of rules being broken. You will see speeders. You will see motorcyclists creeping up the center line while everybody's stopped at a stoplight. How many of you have seen that? Oh, yes, happens all the time. Everybody's stopped, and here comes the motorcyclist right up the center line. You see people not using turn signals, cutting each other off. It is terrible. Complete ignoring of rules out there on the road. But it's not just on the road. Uh, Marilyn and I were in a restaurant the other day, and uh, in this particular restaurant, there was a sign printed out by the manager on a piece of paper, sign taped to the women's restroom door. Would you like to know what that sign said? That sign said, the women's restroom shall be used by women only. Did you ever think this would be a problem in America? I mean, it just shows how disrespectful people are of cultural norms. I mean, people want to do whatever they want to do, whenever they want to do it, however they want to do it. And if nature calls, they want to use whatever restroom they want to use. And they don't care about the name on the door. People hate rules. Until it comes to religion. And then all of a sudden, we love rules. Why do we love rules in religion? Very simple. Because rules give us a way to measure our spirituality and feel good about ourselves. Let me tell you a story. When I was in college, I went to college in St. Louis. And we had a fellow student at our school who um, thought it was a sin to drink and was real adamant about it. He was just real adamant about it. So adamant that he wouldn't uh, do business with any kind of establishment, restaurant, or anything that served alcohol. So he wouldn't go to a pizza place. He wouldn't uh, buy groceries at a supermarket that had a liquor aisle. Um, I mean, he wouldn't do business with any establishment that had anything to do with alcoholic beverages in any way, shape, or form. Uh, That was fine. Um, Everybody respected his decision. That's cool. That's his choice. That's what he wants to do. That's fine. But he ran into a problem. He loved baseball. And he loved the Cardinals. And so many, many, many days in college after I got out of class, my buddies and I would pile in the car and we would drive to downtown St. Louis to the Cardinals game. And we would say to our friend, dude, you want to go with us? I don't know if we said dude, but we said, you want to go with us? (laughs) He couldn't go. Because at that time, the Cardinals were owned by Anheuser-Busch. And the name of the stadium is Bush Stadium. 
And everybody knows you go to a baseball game, they're going to be passing beers up and down the road. He couldn't go to the game. And he hated it. But he stuck with his rule because it was his rule and it's how he felt good about himself. Here's the problem. He used to lecture us because we did go to the games. And he would lecture us and come on with this like super spiritual attitude like he was better than we were. Because he had a rule that he kept that made him so spiritual. Friends, this is one of the most common traps religious people fall into. In Jesus' time, it was the Pharisees who were obsessed with keeping rules. In fact, they came up with a complex system of 613 different rules, 365 negative commands and 248 positive commands. And they took great pride in these rules and their ability to follow them. And they believed that it was a person's willingness and ability to follow these rules to the letter that made him pleasing to God. It's all about rule keeping. The problem is Jesus disagreed. In fact, of all the people groups that Jesus encountered during his time on earth, he condemned the Pharisees more than anybody else. And I want you to think about that for a second. The very best, the most conscientious, the most diligent rule keepers on the planet were condemned to hell by Jesus. The Apostle Paul said it this way in Galatians 3.11, He said, it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law or by trying to keep the rules. For scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. It is not your ability to to keep a bunch of rules that is going to get you to heaven. If that's what you're counting on, you are right to be concerned about your salvation. The reason is because no matter how many rules you follow, there's always going to be one you'll break. You'll have a bad day. You'll have a weak moment. You'll be upset sometime and you'll overreact and you'll say something you shouldn't say or you'll have a thought pass through your head that you you shouldn't think. You'll overreact in in an emotional uh, moment and just that quickly, you'll break a rule. And once you've broken a rule, you know what you are? You're a rule breaker. (laughs) And once you break a rule, and once you become a a rule breaker, you're in trouble if your whole theology says that rule breakers don't go to heaven because you're a rule breaker. And the Bible says it, James chapter 2 and verse 10, says the person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. And I want to drive that point home with a a little illustration. Um, In baseball, for example, if you get a hit 30% of the time, that makes you a 300 hitter. And if you know anything about baseball, that makes you really, really good. If you're a 300 hitter, you're really good. That means you get a hit 30% of the time. It also means you don't get a hit 70% of the time. Can you imagine having a career where you could fail 70% of the time and be considered great? That's baseball. 
fail 70% of the time for 15 years and you can go to the Hall of Fame. And there are other careers like that. In fact, just about every career. Basketball players don't hit every shot. Nobody expects them to. Doctors don't save every patient. Salesmen don't, you know, they don't close every sale. But if you adhere to a rule-keeping religion, if you say that your ability to, to be pleasing to God depends on your ability to keep rules, then you have to be 100% all the time. You can never make a mistake. You can never have a bad day. You can never have a weak moment. You can never overreact to an emotional situation. James 2.10 says that if you break one rule, you're guilty of all of them. So you need to ask yourself, are you following rules or following Jesus? If you're following rules and you think your ability to to keep rules is what's going to get you to heaven, you're in trouble. You've been asked to follow Jesus, not rules. One more question, third question. Am I depending on works or grace? A lot of people think their salvation depends on whether or not you know, their, their good deeds outnumber their bad deeds. You know, am I, I doing more good things or am I committing more sins? How, what, what's, what's it look like? I was having a conversation uh, not, not a while back with some people about the, the homeless folks who stand out on the street corner and hold up the little cardboard signs. And one person in that conversation said, well, I know probably some of those people aren't on the level, but I give to them anyway because I figure someday when I stand before God, I'm going to need all the points I can get. <laughs> Have you ever said that? I need all the points I can get. Have you ever thought that? But what's the mindset there? It's like there's a big ledger in the sky. And there's a big scorekeeper up there. And just making marks on each side of the ledger every time you do something. If you do something good, then you get a mark in this ledger. And if you do something bad, then you get a mark over here. And someday when you die, it's all going to be tallied up. And if you have more good deeds than bad deeds, you're getting into heaven. And if you have more bad deeds than good deeds, then you're not. And by the way, this is why a lot of people worry about their salvation, because they don't get a monthly printout so they can see how they're doing. And so they never really know. It's like, okay, do I need to, where do I stand here? Am I in or am I not in? And that's why God did not set up that system for salvation. The last thing he wants is for us to go through our entire lives worrying about what the ledger looks like. He set up a completely different system. Ephesians 2.8 says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. I think we could say it this way too. Uh, uh, salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us have to worry about it. You don't have to worry about that ledger. If there is no ledger, if there is no scorekeeper, then you can just let that whole thought 
Go and be free of it and not let it trouble you. Now you might say, okay, Mark, that sounds good. Saved by grace. That sounds really good. Here's the problem, though. Is God's grace big enough to cover my sin? Because I've done some really bad things. And that is an important question because until you answer that question, you've really just traded one worry for another, haven't you? I mean, you may not be worried about the ledger anymore, but now you're worried about God's grace. Is it going to be enough to cover what I've done? Well, look at it this way. In the New Testament, we see Jesus giving sufficient grace to crooked tax collectors who cheated people out of their money. We see Jesus giving sufficient grace to a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. We see Jesus giving sufficient grace to a woman who'd been married five times and was currently living with her boyfriend. We see Jesus giving sufficient grace to a Pharisee named Saul who made it his business to go around killing Christians. We see Jesus giving sufficient grace to one of his followers, a guy named Peter, who lied and betrayed him in a critical moment. We see Jesus giving sufficient grace to those believers in Ephesus who, because of their pagan history, had actually participated in prostitution as a form of worship. So let's just look at that list. We've got corruption, adultery, fornication, murder, betrayal, lying, and prostitution. And God's grace was able to cover it all. I think he'll be able to handle whatever you have done. By the way, this is why we have so many stories in the Bible. The Bible could be of just a big book of theology, but it's not. The Bible is loaded with stories. Because I think God knew we would need more than just theology. We would need stories. We would need to see for ourselves how Jesus interacted with sinners. Because we'd always be worried about our sin. And could Jesus possibly love me after all the things I've done? Well, yeah, we can see in these stories how Jesus responded to some of the most terrible sinners. His grace was sufficient to cover their sin. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. All wickedness. And so this morning, you need to ask yourself some questions. Do your actions match your words? Don't be that person that goes around talking about Jesus all the time and then doesn't live it. Question number two, are you following rules or following Jesus? Question number three, are you depending on works to save you or grace? If your actions do match your words, if you are following Jesus, and if you are depending on His grace, then guess what? There is zero chance you're going to be wrong about your salvation.
zero chance. This is why the message of salvation through Jesus Christ is called the gospel. You know what the word gospel means? It means good news. It wouldn't be good news if you had to worry about that ledger every day. It wouldn't be good news if you could never make a single mistake. It wouldn't be good news if God's grace covered everybody's sin but yours. But it is good news because you can throw all that stuff, all those worries out the window and just relax in the power and the majesty of His grace and the truthfulness of His word. Let's pray.